I must start by um, acknowledging something that we share in common. I was creeping through your Instagram page, as I do with all of my guests before I interview them, and I discovered that you are a big fan of the 99 Cent Store. Don't. (laughs) I just did. Like, you don't... I guess you do understand. Like, (laughs) I... There are a few things that send me into a place of euphoria uh, instantaneously. (laughs) From NPR, I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. Titus Burgess really, really, really loves 99 cent stores. If you look at his Instagram, there are these videos of him, like, walking the aisles, confessing his love to just about everything on every shelf. It is intense. 99 cent stores most closely resemble jazz. Do tell. You're there for one thing, and you come out with all sorts of gadgets and doodads that wouldn't make sense to anyone else. But once you have assembled the composition, I mean, it is just the best improvisation I think I have ever discovered in retail form. My guest today is Titus Burgess, veteran Broadway actor, star of the Netflix show Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, and lover of 99 cent stores. What I found out with Titus in this chat is that his career, like his relationship with 99 Cent Stores, it's jazz. It's improv. There are a lot of notes, and it's kind of full of surprises. Most of you know Titus Burgess from his role as Titus Andromedon on Kimmy Schmidt. He plays this gay black man living in New York City, desperately trying to make it on Broadway, but plagued by self-doubt after years of rejection. And this character, Titus Andromedon, is loud, big, in your face. But like I said, Titus's career is improv, it is jazz, and there's a lot more music in there than just that role. You'll find out in this chat that in real life, he is pretty much nothing like his character on Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. He's a lot quieter, a lot more reserved, and he's got a lot more going on than just that show. For instance, Titus is writing his own musical right now. It is a side of Titus Burgess you've never seen, well, heard before. All right, I was in L.A., Titus was in New York for this chat. Enjoy. Testing one, two, three. Testing one, two, three. Hi, Titus. Hello. How are you? I'm busy. How you doing? Booked and busy. Booked and busy. Listen, it's, it's better to be busy than not busy, right? Yes, it is. When were you the least busiest, I guess, before this all started for you and you, you were ascendant, like... What was it like to feel not busy? I'm sure you had a time when that was the truth for you. Um, do you know? I'm the least busy when I'm filming. Why is that? Because there's so much downtime. Huh. What do you do during filming when you're not filming and there's that downtime? How do you Well, I, I mean, I, I write while it's happening. And uh, and I write, uh, was working on a, a musical I've written. How much can you tell me about that? I can tell you a lot about it. Oh, um, do it, do it, do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I bought the rights to... Um, the Preacher's Wife. <gasps> Be still my heart. Yes, sir. Um, starred Denzel Washington. and Yo, uh, I know. When he said, okay, oh, all right. I know. Um, and um, I wrote the book and the, excuse me, I wrote the lyrics and the score and I hired a, a young lady who is a writer on Unbreakable uh, to do the book. And we had a really successful reading about two months ago. And uh, we're going to London uh, this summer to do uh, a workshop and then we'll go from there. That's exciting, though. That is a lot of work. It is a great deal of work, but um, it is 
a labor of love, and I didn't have the idea. It just came to me, so I that was obedient. What do you mean you were obedient? What obedient to the to call? I like that. Yeah, I mean some things you, some things you create, and some things are created for you and sent to you. I, I feel, and those are the things that, I, or at least in my experience, uh, assemble themselves with very little effort on your part. And yeah. th- that's how this is churning out for me. Yeah. So I want to talk all about uh, the newest season of Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. You'll I... remember far more than I will. <laughs> Tell me why that's the case. Because we've been done for like a year. (laughs) Oh, it's been that long. Almost, yeah. Okay. So for this last season, and I want to give away spoilers because I've screwed up before and given away spoilers to stuff (laughs) and heard it from our listeners, but how much can you tell us about Titus's journey in this last season of Kimmy Schmidt? He is feeling some fame thanks to his appearance on this Netflix's Daredevil series, but I don't want to say too much. I don't what can we say? Um I I you know, I think it's for me is less about plot journey okay. for Titus. Okay. Uh, although there are some very funny things and situations that he finds himself in. Um ultimately Titus's greatest challenge and the largest scale journey is one that he had been uh, starting since the series began, which um, quite simply is uh, considering other people's feelings before his own. Mm. The um, sort of crash course in optimism and relentlessness uh, and resilience that he learned from from, uh, Kimmy, Ellie Kemper's character, and coupled with... uh, the uh, unbridled and unexpected um, surprise of uh, the, the love that he, or the wealth of love, gravity of love that he feels uh, for Mikey uh, has sort of ambushed him into becoming a different uh, version of himself. And I think finally giving over to that and diving into the epicenter of that um, results in a, a lovely arc for him. Uh, and I think... Uh, uh, audiences will be pleased when they see the end. Yeah, and Mikey is his on again, off again boyfriend. In That's the correct. Yeah. Was it hard for you to channel all that you need to make and be a character who is so candid and so himself all the time? No, I'm very much like that. But what is very, what was very hard for me was um, the level of outrage and effeminacy uh, in his person. I've no problems with effeminacy, but I'm not uh, overly effeminate. Mm-hmm. And so um, to channel that energy at four o'clock in the morning and, and to be on a 10, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I hover around a, a, a one. <laughs> um, and um, uh, I, I don't like to be around a lot of people and I, did, I rarely like, uh, you know, um, dressing up and, and having attention drawn to me. I'm dressed mostly in black all the time, um, unless I go to an event. So mm-hmm. I did not have trouble with that part of him, but, you know, the things that I just described, that was the most challenging for me. Yeah. You know, I imagine one of the biggest challenges in playing that kind of character and being the kind of person you are in real life is when fans see you in public... They're so disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> Viewers come up to you expecting Titus Andromedon. They get Titus Burgess. Are they? What are? The, what, what? What's the most common response when they come to you? Um, everyone has been so far so wonderfully, beautifully respectful and 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 uh, loving. Um, but the 
What is uncomfortable for me is the level of familiarity with which they house when they come up to me and say my name and then subsequently grab me. Oh, uh, and no. oftentimes the grab comes before the acknowledgement. That's not I, right. It isn't right, but it's the, the, the and, and I I think I'm in a unique position because I think it is solely because my real name is Titus. Yeah. Are you I mean when you first saw the first script for the first season were you like what the hell is this? No, I got it right away. <laughs> really? Why'd you get it right away? I well, I mean, I I having had worked with them before, I understood their tonality and and um, you know, if anyone was going to make a comedy out of such a dark, dark premise, it was going to be Robert Carlock and Tina Fey. Yeah, you have talked at length before, and I don't want to make you drag it out again, but you've talked before about how your character Titus Andromedon, who is this eccentric, theatrical black gay man in New York, how he actually is the everyman of this show. And I think that even that idea is beautifully, quietly subversive. But I want you to let our listeners know why you think he's the everyman, because I think a lot of folks watch that show and might not see that at first. Oh, um, Titus is, well, he's he's every minority ever. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, um, you know, he's um, a guy with a dream. Whether he should be chasing this dream or not is inconsequential. He has a, a want a desire, and he, once he's rallied by his roommate, um, he goes after it. But, you know, in this economy, it is very difficult to often find work in um, the field that you were trained in, and then let alone uh, taking into account uh, his age and then the fact that he's not white and the fact that he is not skinny uh, and uh, the fact that he's gay. Mm-hmm. Um there are several things working uh, against him, um, and then he can't afford his rent, mm-hmm. um, and he is living in a quickly gentrifying neighborhood. You know, so I can't think of a single character on television currently uh, that more closely resembles the hardship mm. of um, you know the, sort of the fabric of many many Americans right now than uh, this guy. No matter how dressed up in in eccentricities and and isms he he may or may not be. Yeah. All right, time for a break. I'm talking with Titus Burgess, one of the stars of the Netflix show Unbreakable, Kimmy Schmidt. When we come back, Titus tells me all about growing up in the country and how we got out. Also, that one time he worked at Disneyland on a Lion King show. All right, BRB. <laughs> Support for this podcast and the following message come from BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who specialize in issues such as depression, stress, anxiety, and more. Connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment at your convenience. Get help at your own time and your own pace. Schedule secure video or phone sessions. Plus, chat and text with your therapist. Visit BetterHelp.com NPR to learn more and get 10% off your first month. Whether it's athlete protests, the Muslim travel ban, gun violence, school reform, or just the music that's giving you life right now, race is the subtext to so much of the American story. And on Code Switch, we make that subtext text. You can listen to us on NPR One or wherever you get your podcasts. How much of the specifics of the challenges that this character faces in the show were true to you at points in your life? I mean, Several of them are, yeah. are forever true. Um, 
I'm all, I'm still black and yeah. I'm still gay yeah. and I'm still overweight. Um, <clears throat> and you'd be surprised, even at my modest level of success, uh, how difficult it is to convince. I shouldn't say convince. How difficult it is to engage people with pre-existing ideas of what you can do based on what they've seen you do. Mm. But that is just America, though, isn't it? Um, I, I don't. I can't speak for another country because I don't live anywhere else. But uh, yeah. you know, it is it is um, hard to consider um, this and, um, but rather it has to be... Uh, you do this. this you do this. this. Uh, exactly. Exactly. It's so unfortunate. It is. And it's it's scary. I mean, it, it must... It's, it's because, like, you were creative. You want to be able to do whatever the hell you want to do. And, like, you've done this now iconic role on this show. I'm sure a lot of folks who call the shots in Hollywood, on Broadway, whatever, I mean, are they going to typecast you because of the way you did this role? I well, they'll, they, I don't know, but what I what I do know is that um, I am the author and finisher of my fate, yeah. and I have control over how I'm seen, and I have the great fortune of, and the world will see it very soon, Okay, this isn't uh, speaking to my level of skill at composing and writing, but uh, I now have the opportunity to uh, put content out that I have long since uh, been creating um, because of Kimmy and something else that's about to be announced uh, shortly. I don't focus on casting directors and their ability or inability mm. or producers and, and their their savviness and know-how. I, I, I get it. I know what is commercially necessary to create the most um, money. I know how the system works. I'm yeah. not going to change yeah. it, but I can create another system. And um, but I will never do another job that is handed to me um, by someone who has not thought out the possibility that I could have been some other character. But just because they've seen me, you know, it's the, you know, who else do the same thing, uh, 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 and you don't. But uh, journalists and and uh, hosts, they, they, uh, I've had more interviews with people who regurgitate questions yeah. based on the content that I've already put out rather than listen yeah. to to the space in between the question and my answer to figure out how I communicate and the things that I find thought provoking uh, and to get uh, a good uh, soundbite to get a good interview and and it baffles me that people sit in positions of power and real influence mm. how often they just miss whole opportunities um, because time is not taken to uh, slow down and, and, and really do a little digging. I want us to dig. And I also want to follow up because now I'm being nosy. What was the most, I guess, galling or insulting or uncareful question you got in some of these interviews that you were kind of referencing? Not so much the... They weren't so much appalling or offensive mm. as much as um, they were either not pertinent to... Uh, the thing that I was there to promote mm. or um, insensitive in, mm. in in a way that uh, or they don't listen uh, <laughs> I, I tell you what oh my lord that is my of all the things yeah. in the world the if you want to send me into a fit of rage is if you don't listen because right. I I take care to explain it mm -hmm. and give you as 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 thorough um, an explanation 
uh, or, or or question as I possibly can because I hate for people to waste my time. Yeah. And I refuse to waste anyone else's time. When did you get to the point in your life where you were like, my time is important. I was a kid. My words are Really? Yes, sir. You were that kid. I, I'm an only child, and my grandparents, uh, I spent summers with them and um, because my mom had to work and I was, wasn't uh, old enough to stay at home uh, alone. And uh, I had chores, and they were up at the crack of dawn in that garden and with their horses, and, and um, you heard the rooster crow, and you, you smelled the biscuits uh, cooking, and you knew it was time to get up. Yeah. And This is Georgia, right? It's, it's in rural Georgia, in Stevens, Georgia. And um, just because you were a child didn't mean you didn't have things you could do. The house had to be taken care of, and you needed to be fed, and there were only two people and there was a uh, you know several cousins but it, they were with their parents because all my cousins had both parents in the home but they would often come down for daycare anyways the point is i i knew that time is of the essence mm. so you grew up in the country mm-hmm. what kind of kid were you were you enjoying that life were you dreaming of another life oh i hated it what did you hate about it being in the country i just <laughs> knew i didn't want to be there how'd you know um how did you know you liked girls i don't how do you know you like boys? I did. How do you know? I the girl. <laughs> exactly. Just you just knew. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. So when you knew, what did you do? I dreamed. I sang. I did plays. I did anything that closely resembled the 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 life that I wanted to live, that I had access to, um, as as much as my mom would uh, and, and, and folks would allow um, and um, until I could make more decisions uh, on my own um, you know to get into a place where I could call some of the shots in my little corner of my own little you know world uh, you know I, I um, that's what I did so then walk me through You end, I mean you end up on Broadway <laughs> <laughs> Was it hard to get there? You just did you finish school and just say I'm going to New York now? Or I mean, like no, I went to uh, I worked at Disney World for a little bit to get my equity card, and then I left after one contract, and I went to New York and uh, went through the few little thousands of dollars that I had. And was it hard to? Uh, it was not hard to get on Broadway, but it was hard to not have a job. Um, and it again. It, it was hard to convince theatrical casting directors that you can be something other than what you appear to be as you walk in the world. And people can only, I suppose, represent you as far as their reach goes. Um, and some people just don't got to reach. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? It's so true. Ain't that the truth? You know, I would spend literally an hour talking with you about the work you did at Disney because I find that fascinating. But like, <laughs> tell me briefly, what were you doing at Disney? Oh, I was in some show called The Festival of the Lion King. I should not have been there. The Festival of the Lion King? Okay. Yeah, it had nothing to do with The Lion King. What? Um, just use their characters in some of the songs. But people were bouncing around, swinging in trapeze art and things like that. What it was fun. were you? Um... A character that is subsequently not in The Lion King. That's why I'm like, it, it wouldn't even do for me to tell you because you would have no idea. <laughs> they just sort of threw all these things together. Okay, when we come back, Titus Burgess tells us how he'd write Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt if he ran the show. BRB. 
Support for this podcast and the following message come from Hinge. Hinge is the dating app that's designed to be deleted. It's for people who want to get off dating apps. Show off your personality with icebreaker prompts and see who likes you so you can easily start a conversation. On Hinge, three out of four first dates lead to second dates, and they're the number one dating app mentioned in the New York Times wedding section. Download Hinge in the Apple Store or Google Play. I'm Maria Hinojosa, and next time on Latino USA, we talk about Alaska. No, not the state, the famous Spanish recording artist who sang the definitive LGBTQ anthem in Espanol. Alaska, that's next time on Latino USA. When I talk to folks in the biz, my favorite part of the conversation, especially the ones that go to New York to make it, is asking them about their girl, I was so broke moment. Because <laughs> everyone has one. You know, you're like, the last check is you've run through it. You're waiting for the next gig. You're not getting the calls back. You're in the Roach Motel with five other roommates. Like, you must have, like, that moment where you were like, dear God, I might not make it. I'm so broke. Oh, I city. always feel like I'm not going to make it. <laughs> Even though I got <laughs> some money. Um, I, was I, there, like, a certain moment where you're just like, oh, my God. There were several moments, but they yeah. all looked the same. And they they, they weren't so story worthy though but I will say I don't know how I managed to survive really yes and we, I talk about that with my friends often because my my work early on was so infrequent and I worked uh, you know sang at some churches and um, little one off concerts and such and the check would be like maybe 75 100 bucks here and there but that's that I may have had one or two of those every two weeks and I couch hopped and and um I tell you though that the dollar slice is, is your best friend <laughs> and I would get my literally my pennies together wow. um uh, reaching in, in in couches and such just to try and get enough money to to eat what was it like I don't know, biggest lesson you learned in that struggle slice mm. part of your life. Um, that I can survive anything. And it's all, I have it all to attribute to um, the leanness and the meatness. Mm. And uh, mm. they, they, they both exacerbate um, something about who you were, have always been, and who you will be. Um, and so it allows me to walk a- around not questioning that because it got a lot of other stuff to be doing and, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, I do want to ask a bit more about this show and Kimmy Schmidt uh, because, you know, hearing you talk about being the master of your own narrative, um, all that I read about the show itself, it is very much a production where they write the words and y'all say them. Like, I was reading somewhere, you like, the, like there's not that much improv in the show. There's no improv. Wow. What is that like for someone who... For me, is brilliant. Do you like that, though? I mean, cause, Oh, like, yeah, you're... dude. Wow. I, okay. I'm, not a, I'm, not a, I'm not a stand-up comedian. I don't know how to do that. <laughs> I'm not... I'm an actor. Like, give me... Tell me what to say. <laughs> I, but I know how to say it. Yeah. You know, um, that yeah. is where my strength is and where, where, where my contribution to to that is. But, you know, uh, Tina Fey d- does not need anybody improving upon her words. <laughs> She's good. She's good. She's good. Yeah. Have there been any moments in which some of the words you had to say, I don't know, I mean, like... Yeah. Were they, were, where it didn't come out right? No, or, where you didn't feel good about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we, I go to them and 
Um, they either change them or uh, they give me alts, and we do it every which way. But at the end of the day, my job is to find a way to say it as convincingly as possible because whether they change the line or not is inconsequential because once they get to the editing room you ain't you've lost everything you ain't got no choice you know what I mean (laughs) so (laughs) don't labor don't don't think about it too hard yeah yeah I mean I bring this up because I mean and you've you've answered these questions before but I have to ask them you know there have been some critiques of Tina Fey's work in this show throughout its run about some of the roles and the way they deal with race and stereotyping and you know not seeing people or races fully do any of those critiques in that regard? I'm talking about the geisha episode. I'm talking about the Native American plot line. Do any of the critiques of those things hold water with you? No. Um, Why not? Well, if if people watch standalone episodes, which... It, it's hard to do with this show. Right. You need to watch the whole thing. So th- exactly. So already that's told me that they don't understand... Um, how to properly critique anything. Because in order to critique, you must understand the scale and the beginning and the end. Uh, and if you were sans those things, uh, I'll know it inside your critique. And so then I can't have an arg- a discussion with you about it because it's unbalanced and unfair and you were not equipped to discuss this with me. Um, so, no. You know, I watch it and I, I, I watch 30 Rock. I watch this show. And there are some times, as, as someone who loves... Tina Fey's work I think I read Bossy Pants three times uh, like I'm a fan I stand but there's some moments you know when they, when, 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 when she tackles race in her writing where I'm like I get it but also should I you know it, it's I, 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 it kind of makes you like go I, uh, I don't well, know well first of all that's the point what you're doing now and the second point is that we're talking about it yeah. long out long afterward but third of all um th- her job is to exacerbate the folly in and the uh, ridiculous nature mm. um, of uh, stereotypes that seem to be a part of the fabric of our country. Mm. And uh, if it is offensive to you, then it does. It means one of two things: that uh, you disagree with the stereotype, um, and you you feel protective of the thing that is being stereotyped, mm. which then means you will probably go into the world and more severely be protective of it and try to push against it or at least change how it is uh, seen. So she's not um, promoting it. Uh, she's leaning into it. Yeah. Uh, you know, America is is uh, on the whole uh, erring on the side of not making the best choices and chasing uh, or following uh, leads that um, are, are not uh, thought through and that are haphazard and, 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 and impulsive um, and uh, shows you just uh, who those episodes are meant for in hopes that they watch it and, th- and that it is such a glaring, um, uh, offensive uh, portrayal of a thing, of a person, uh, that they too will, will go, well, is that is that how I think or is that what I you know what I mean so I think that's why they do it would you were you making a similar kind of show and you were in charge of everything about it and uh, similarly trying to force viewers to examine race in the way that Tina Fey is doing would you do anything differently I have more black people 
But that's just because I would, because I think black people are are fascinating people that uh, still have not been hmm. mined for as severely or ex- the sides to them have not been uh, sufficiently hmm. exposed. You know, that's how I would tell it, yeah. you know, just because you got to write what you know. That is the only thing I would do differently, just out of sheer f- necessity. Yeah. I'm trying to imagine now. I mean, like... How would Titus's character live in that show if there were like two or three more black people in it regularly? Um, I don't know. I don't even know if Titus would be the black. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think El- uh, Kimmy would be black. Um, really? Oh yeah, man. Um, and and and, and instead of a you know bunker, it would probably be about um, you know just getting away from some sort of. Um, familial incest or something like that or, 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 or you know rape uh, by a family member which um, happens more often than than we care to admit than we care to admit mm-hmm. uh, Carol Kane's character she would definitely be black some some educated uh, black lady who's you know owns the building or something like that um, and then uh, you know Jane's character would probably be maybe her older sis who got out before you know any of this started but she probably knows about it you know what I mean yeah the unbreakable Kanisha Smith. <laughs> she wouldn't be called Kanisha. See, there's some, that's another stereotype. Okay. I, 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 I know a Kanisha. That's yeah, but her but name yeah. could be Ellie. Yes, you're right. You're right. You're right. You know, you have given me so many truth bombs over the course of our conversation, and I know that our listeners would love any advice you could share for folks that are still on their way up, trying to make it, trying to trying to come through and get through. Like, give, Yeah. Don't take a no from someone who doesn't have the power to give you a yes in mm. the first place. Yes. Framing that. Amen. Amen. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. This is great. This is so delightful. I am so grateful for your time and your body of work, and I just look forward to all that you do, and I cannot wait for that Preacher's Wife musical. So. I can't wait to give it to you. Thank you so much for having me, man. Yes, sir. You take care. Many, many thanks to Titus Burgess for this chat. Final episode for his Netflix show, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. We're all out on Netflix right now. Um, Go enjoy that show if you have not already. And while you're enjoying that show, let us know that you're enjoying this show. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends about the show. Uh, Send your dog photos to me as well. All the good stuff. Thank you so much for listening. Talk soon.